The rest of you can turn to Acts chapter 5. I, uh, I was, my wife went back to camp kitchen work that she does during the summer, and so I was uh, doing these important duties in the home. Last night, I'd like to tell you that I was doing something really manly when I hurt my back, like chopping wood or, you know, skinning an animal or something like that. It was, that seems right, but I was, uh, I was loading the dishwasher. So that's my, that's the, just bent wrong, twisted a little bit, and there it went. So uh, I'm kind of locked up and in pain this morning, but God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, and I'm counting on that this morning. So um, last time we were in Acts, we, we saw the church gathered publicly in the temple at Solomon's porch. They were uh, The apostles were doing these amazing miracles. We were seeing, seeing physical healings taking place as well as spiritual healings, multitudes of men and women coming to Christ, trusting him as their Lord and Savior. And we broke that, that sermon down into three different groups that were present there, the, the Orthodox, the onlookers, and the opposition. The Orthodox were the Christians, just the believers there. The onlookers were those who were taking everything in, uh, enjoying the show, and, and kind of enjoying some of the benefits that came along with, with being around all of that. But they were unwilling to, to go all in and, and become affiliated with that group. So they were just onlookers. And then there was the group we talked a little bit about called the opposition. And that consisted of the high priest and the Sadducees, who were not at all happy with what was going on in the temple. They didn't like these Christians being there. They didn't like the message they were teaching. And they were determined to put a defi- decisive stop to it. And that's kind of where we're picking things up. This morning, by the way, the mention of Sadducees, I think it's important just to make sure you guys know who these guys are. They were part of the Jewish leadership. You had Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, They were more the the wealthy upper class, uh, aristocratic kind of kind of folks. Um, According to most historic historians, people didn't like them much. Uh, Josephus recorded that the Sadducees were rude, arrogant, power hungry and quick to dispute with those who disagreed with them. So I think they were like politicians, from what I can gather. Um, the Sadducees made up the majority of what was called the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council made up of 70 men in Jerusalem who were kind of like the Supreme Court. They were the ones that decided uh, what was going on and, and, and how things would work. Um, they were Pharisees also made up part of the Sanhedrin, but the, the Sadducees were much more, like I said, political and less religious than the Pharisees. In fact, they denied many of the things that the Pharisees and most Jewish people believed. So they didn't believe that God was involved personally in our everyday lives. Um, they did not believe in an afterlife or in the resurrection. And so you've, you've all heard this, I'm sure, but it helps you remember it. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Therefore, they were, they were sad, you see. That's how you remember. I didn't make that up. Don't boo me. But it stuck with me my whole life. I remember the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So they also didn't believe in uh, the spiritual realm. So they didn't believe in angels and demons and, and things like that, which makes this passage really kind of funny to me because God has an amazing sense of humor. As we go along, you'll see why. Uh, so that's who the Sadducees were. All right. So we're going to pick things up in Acts chapter five and verse 17, which says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could mean, what this could come to, sorry. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not, not by force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Uh, Father, I just want to uh, add to Paul's prayer and ask for you to be here in might. Um, we need you today. We need you desperately every day. We need you more than the breath that we breathe. And we just acknowledge your goodness today in giving us the Savior, Jesus Christ. May his name be lifted up and exalted and made famous today, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so three things we're going to pull out of this passage, which is kind of a long one. I always do this thing where I, I take a longer passage and think I should have gone with a smaller one. I'm going to learn from David one of these days and take two verses. But we got a lot. So three things we're going to look at. The danger of jealous pride, the unstoppability of the gospel. And no, that's not a word, but I like the way it sounded. So the unstoppability of the gospel. And then the last one is the need to obey God. First one we're looking at is the danger of jealous pride. And we see that in verse 17 when the high priest rises up with the Sadducees, says they're filled with jealousy, and they arrest the apostles. Now, the fact that they were filled with jealousy seems a little strange to me when you consider what the apostles were doing. What they were guilty of doing in the temple that day were healing sick people and casting demons out of people. And when you think about what has plagued mankind since the fall of man, you think, well, these are two of the main ones, you know, the healing of the sick and casting out demons. You'd think they would have been ecstatic to see this going on. But they were not. They wanted to put a stop to it. And you think, why would anybody want to put a stop to this? And I'm going to start out just getting controversial right off the bat because I started to think about this and I thought it reminds me a lot of what I see going on in our world today. When you have a state like Georgia who is, has a law that's basically going to make abortion illegal, it's going to protect the most helpless in our society. And you think to yourself, who would oppose that? Who would get upset about that? And people are enraged about this. So much so that two major companies, and I'm not suggesting anything crazy here, but this is important for you to know, Netflix and Disney have both said, oh, well, if they pass this law, you know what? We just might not go and, and do business with them anymore. We might just pull out of Georgia altogether. It, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling because this is a good thing that's taking place. But all of this, what's going on in Jerusalem, uh, in this passage, and what's going on in our country, all of it really has to do with power and control. When we feel those things slipping through our hands, objectivity and reason just kind of go out the window, and we do whatever it takes to protect what we think is rightfully ours. 
And I, I couldn't help, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but I couldn't help but think of that scene in Lord of the Rings where, um, I'll get the names wrong, but Bilbo was talking to Frodo and Frodo's got the ring around his neck and, his, and, he, and he starts to unbutton his shirt a little bit and he sees the ring and he does that thing where he, he tries to grab it and his face changes and you're like, what was that? That's what this is right here. That's what's happening in, in the temple that day. The, the, uh, the Jewish religious leaders are, are, are seeing their power and control leave. And so as the apostles' power and fame increases, what they see happen is that theirs decreases, and they don't like it. They feel threatened by it. And now it's easy to look at the Jewish religious leaders and think, oh, those guys are the worst. You know, we do that a lot when we're, when we're looking at them and think, I can't believe, you know, can you believe the stuff that they're doing? But we might be more like them than we want to admit sometimes. Because pride is able to blind all of us. Every one of us can be guilty of this kind of jealous pride when it comes to the way we view things. I think of uh, even in the church, you know, um, there are two, and I'm not going to name names because that would be wrong, but there are two very prominent pastors in the last several years that I can think of who this this kind of thing happened in, in their ministries. They started out very small, humble ministries, and then they started gaining ground. They started getting big. Both of these ministries that I think, I think they reached somewhere around 13,000 people. That's massive. But what happened is as their ministries grew, their egos seem to keep up with the growth, if that makes sense. Everybody can convince themselves that they're a big deal, that they matter a lot more than they really do. And so it's always a good idea for every one of us to ask the question, whose fame and agenda are we promoting? Who do we want to see get famous in this church? And I know the answer is not David, Terry, Brent, or any one of you out there. We want to see Jesus be famous in that in this church. And if that ever changes, we need to do something serious about that. So often we think of, you know, our fame and our advancement. You know, the apostles that day, they were only thinking of Jesus' fame. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not at all thinking of that. They were thinking of their own fame and agenda. My ministry, my position, my title, and we'll protect those things when they start to get taken away from us if we get territorial about them. I truly believe that's one of the reasons why we don't see um, pastors sharing the pulpit very often. I talk to guys and they say, and we, we enjoy the benefit of, of doing this a little differently to where, you know, we rotate through. And I talk to guys and they say, no, I want to be the guy in there every Sunday. And I always think, why? <laughs> so maybe because I don't. It's a lot of, it's a lot to do. You know, some of these guys, they're only out of their pulpit four or five times a year. And, and, and the rest of the time, somebody else, you know, they're the ones in it. Somebody else will come in occasionally. But it's, it's threatening when you, when you share the pulpit. You know, I, I always, it's, it's kind of, if you're insecure at all, and I happen to be pretty insecure, you think that way. When so, you know, John preached last week, did a great job. And you think, did they like his preaching better than mine? What if they prefer him? He's not in very often. Maybe they're going to want him to come all the time. And we do like it when John preaches. He did a great job. But that stuff gets in your head. Man, if David and Terry knock it out of the park, what does that mean for me? You know? And, and it's, it's so wrong to think that way because if they knock it out of the park, praise God for that. You know? And so I love it. And, and when I get to sit out there and be preached to and hear God's word and be fed, that's a wonderful thing to have happen. So this is, the way we do this is unusual, but it really is beneficial because the burden is spread across more shoulders. Nobody is going to get credit, right? The only or the right person is going to get credit. I'll say that. We won't get credit for it, which is good. It keeps us humble, and it reminds us that God doesn't need me to do this. You know, I, I think we can get to that point where we actually convince ourselves of that sometimes, and it's ridiculous. But this reminds me, I could fall off the face of the earth tomorrow, 
and none of this would really change. I mean, I'm sure you'd miss me and all that, but I'd miss you guys. But it wouldn't change what goes on here. And I love that. Hopefully it keeps things a little more well-rounded, too. I've noticed that when people partner in ministry, instead of doing it all themselves, it it, it fills in the ministry so much more. We we made a change in the women's ministry this year where we brought three or four different women in. And it's so cool to see how that works because you have different personalities with different focuses, different roles, and it fills it in in a much fuller way. And it also makes sure that nobody kind of starts to, to do that ego thing that we're so good at doing. So, Bottom line is, if the person and work of Jesus isn't at the forefront of whatever ministry we're involved in, the wrong person is getting famous. And there's no place for this kind of jealous pride in Christ's church. The Jewish religious leaders were all about their fame, and as we know, they were willing to do anything to protect it. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we can learn from in this passage is the unstoppability of the gospel. Um, The Jewish leaders had had enough. So they seized the the 12 mighty apostles who were doing these amazing works, publicly grabbed them, and threw them in the Jerusalem slammer, which would have been pretty hard for the the group to see. Um, It was in full view of the public to make sure that everybody really knew who was boss that day. You know, they did it in a very public way. And this would have been discouraging for the apostles, obviously, but also for the Christians that were there, knowing that the leaders of the church have all been incarcerated. That's a bad day, right? I mean, if you, I, I, this, this might not shock you as much as I think, but imagine if, you know, the authorities stormed in here this morning and hauled all of the church leaders out, not because of scandal. I know you guys are thinking, we've thought about that before. No, <laughs> not because of that, but because of our faithfulness to the preaching the truth of God's word. We will, we will not cease to preach the gospel, and that could come. You know, there are churches today where that's actually a real worry, that the pastor preaching is probably ready that for, at any moment for that to happen, because it could. It hasn't happened to our country yet, but it could, it could turn that way. And I know it can get discouraging sometimes in our country right now. Um, things can look like we're losing ground, we're, we're being defeated, the enemy's getting the upper hand, we're outnumbered, and hope is fading. And you can, when you look at the landscape, you, you can think that way. But I want you to know, Christian, from God's vantage point, that isn't reality at all. And we see that so clearly in this passage, because things right now would have been bleak for the early church to see this happen. All 12 apostles have just been locked up. Right after that, though, we read in verse 19, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and set the captives free. Right? He said, Go stand in the temple, go back to the temple, right where you were, and preach Jesus again. And when they heard this, they did. I love that. I'd have been like, okay, if the, if the door's open, I know I'm running into the woods. I'm, I'm getting a disguise, and I'm not coming back. They went right back there and did the same thing again. And I thought about this. How hard was, was it for God to do this? How hard was it for God to release them? I mean, I mean, he didn't have to, like, I always think of these movies that I like so much. You know, he didn't have to get, a, like, the right team together. We need a weapon specialist. We need this person. We need somebody that can do, you know, crack safes. You get this team together. You get the blueprints for the building. You figure out how we're going to do this. We're going to tunnel under this thing, or we're going to zip line from the ceiling, and, you know. And I just think, you know, there's not, there's no mission impossible with God. He doesn't, I mean, he literally was like, he just said to an angel, hey, would you run down to Jerusalem and just let those guys out real quick? Thanks. I mean, that was easy, right? That's, that's kind of, it doesn't even look, he doesn't even say that, but it's, it's that simple for God. I just think God is unstoppable. Therefore, the church is unstoppable, and the gospel is unstoppable. And for the Christian, we can just believe that. Don't get discouraged when you see things not looking right. From God's vantage point, we're in good hands, and we stand in victory at the end with God, victorious as winners in this whole mess. 
All right. The other thing I just love about thinking about how unstoppable the gospel is, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but just as an encouragement to you guys, remember that the gospel can crack even the toughest nut. And, and I, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm proof of that because there's no earthly reason that can explain how the light of the gospel penetrated my dark heart. And I was 19 years old at the time, and I still remember it, and it, it still baffles me to this day. Um, God can save anybody. It's no harder for him to do that than it was for him to release the apostles. And, and so I want to encourage you, for those of you who have been praying for family members and loved ones, don't give up. Uh, keep praying for them. Pray faithfully for them, knowing that God, by his Holy Spirit, can at any moment unlock that cell that's keeping them captive and set them free. You know, sometimes I think we get so awestruck by the miracles when we read about what the apostles were doing and, and we see the healings and, the, and all these things happen and we think, wow, look at the power of God. But believe in that same power of God to save the lost. It's available to us to take out and to, to share with others. We have that same power available to us to, to, to heal spiritually the people in this community through the gospel. So we can be confident no matter what comes against us. God cannot be thwarted. Um, and like I said, in the end, we stand victorious. We know this. So the next thing we see here is, is the need to obey God. So after locking up the apostles, uh, the Jewish leaders call like a morning meeting, and they get all the big wigs together because they've got to deal with this problem that's happening. That, you know, that this is really starting to, to mess up their, their, their setup here. So they get all the officers, all the people, um, and they tell the officers, uh, the cops basically, you know, hey, go head over to the, you know, the jail, grab the apostles, bring them back here to this meeting we're going to have. And I, I think of what it would be like to be one of those those officers that had to go to the jail that day. And they, they go there, they assess the situation, and now they have to come back and report to these guys. That would be kind of terrifying to walk back into that room without the prisoners that day. And I think, you know, we'll say like, well, we've got some good news, we've got some bad news. And the good news is uh, the prison was securely locked, and the guards were all at their posts. It looked great when we got there. Uh, the bad news is <laughs> the apostles weren't inside. It says, I love 24, when the captain in the temple of the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. I'm like, yeah, that would be perplexing. And they wondered, what would this come to? That's a, that's a great thing to think at that time. And then about that time, someone else comes into the room with an update. Again, the same idea. Yeah, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we've located the prisoners. <laughs> they're all safe. We know exactly where they are. Right? Bad news is they're standing in the temple and they're preaching Jesus again. If they were jealous before this about what was going on, this didn't help. If they were enraged and mad about all this before, it didn't help. But, but the way they come out at this time is a little different. They don't come in there with force because now they realize if we come in there and just pull them out of there and, and arrest them again, the people are going to turn against us, and they were worried about that. So they kind of gently go to, to gather them and invite them back to the council. In verse 26, we read, The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I, I think this is kind of strange, because nowhere in this do they say, How in the world did you guys get out of prison? That would have been the first question on my mind. How did that happen? 
Wouldn't that be it? I don't think they wanted to know the answer. I think they pretty much knew the answer. And they, they wanted to stay as far away from that question as possible. So instead, they focus on the apostles' blatant disregard for their orders. I love that. We, we didn't just charge you. We strictly charged you. It's like, hey, we didn't know it was strictly charged. We it's like, we strictly ordered you not to teach in their name. And then they get mad because you're blaming us for the death of Jesus. And it's like, well, yeah, hello. That's it. Well, yeah, duh. That's what you guys did. We're not, you know, everybody knows that. It's not like a big mystery, but they're, what they're really worried about is that, that this is somehow going to turn the people against them. And they're feeling that happening already, and they don't want that. Verse 33, which we're not going to get into, goes on to tell us they got so angry, they wanted to actually kill the apostles. But they don't do that. They end up just you know, beating them really badly before releasing them. But we get a glimpse in this uh, of the tactics that the enemy uses to intimidate us and to try to defeat us, to try to discourage us from, from going on and doing what we're called to do. Um, the enemy is pretty much a bully, if you haven't figured it out by now. Uh, you know, that story I just told you about Netflix and Disney, to me, that's just bully tactics. That's all that is. It's like, oh, you better do this or else. And that's what these guys are doing. Um, you know, we do have a, a real enemy who's against us and wants to defeat us. But his tactics don't change much over the years. He's a bully. And he'll try to bully, intimidate you, and threaten you. And we might not ever be intimidated by high priests and Sadducees, but there's lots of other ways that can intimidate us to not speak out about our faith in Christ. We're living in a time when... Faithfully teaching God's word will get you in trouble, quite frankly. That's why you see so many churches, I think, kind of compromising on, on the word of truth and not preaching the gospel completely. They'll tell you the, the good news, right? But they won't tell you the bad news. They don't want to touch that. No one wants to speak out against the PC police, right? Because why would you want to stick your neck out and, and have them chop it off? That's what seems to be happening in our world today. Every time you speak out... There's just this crowd of people that comes over to tell you that you're a bigot, you're intolerant, you're, you know, all these terrible names. And it's like, well, why would you want to speak out at all at that point? You know, you're going to get ridiculed and shamed and ostracized. Those are bully tactics. They shouldn't stop us. They didn't stop the apostles that day. Now, I will say we do need to pick our battles. You know, don't, don't, if, you know, if Starbucks comes out with a new Christmas cup, don't, don't freak out necessarily. I mean, you can if you want to, but I think we can get, we can go too far with this. But there are some things we need to just stand our ground on, even if it means persecution. And so in this instance, which is a really good example, the Jewish council told the apostles, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. Is that an option for a Christian? Right. As my mom used to say, no way, Jose. You cannot do that. Peter says it a little differently in verse 29, but the same idea applies. We must obey God rather than men. That's the answer. When it comes to that, we obey God. Not man. Now, I've seen people do some funny things with this verse. You know, how you can just kind of find a verse in the Bible and pull it out and say, I'm going to use this one for, for lots of things right now. Um, don't take this verse out of context and use it for, for crazy things, right? So if your boss comes by your cubicle and says, yeah, um, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. You can't be like, I obey God, not you. That'll get you fired. <laughs> I see lots of people using that, you know, I don't, have to, I don't have to listen to man. I obey God. That's not what this verse is teaching. Um, in fact, the Bible pretty clearly tells us the way Christians are supposed to obey those in authority. The very same Peter who said, we must obey God rather than man, also said this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, or you could say president, as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Christians should be great citizens. 
right? When, the way we conduct ourselves in public, we should be stellar. We should we should be really good citizens. We should be really good employees. We should stand out about, you know, we should be the ones that are on time and that are doing a great job and, you know, not just working when the boss is looking but busy all day long. We should we should stand out in those regards. And we should basically follow the rules of the land, of the office, of whatever, unless they go against the rules that God has given us. I used to work for a copier company. I was a, the copier tech fixer guy. Um, and I, this company was in Idaho, so nobody here. So don't, don't worry about that. I don't even think they're in business anymore, so I can't incriminate them. But the owner one day came to me and said, hey, I want you um, to turn the, the meter back on the copier. Uh, turned these back. So there was a way that they could break into this little thing, and it was how many copies were on the machine. If, if it had fewer copies, you could sell it for more money. And I, at the time, I remember thinking, well, that's crazy, man. We can't do that. That's, that's illegal. It's immoral. I was a Christian at the time, and I, I thought, man, I can't do this in good conscience. It turns out the other techs were all doing it. I didn't know that. But when he asked me to do it, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I, I was hoping maybe he would be like, man, wow, Brent, what stellar integrity you have. <laughs> You know, you are a man of God and it shows, you know, and it's like everybody else, let's put Brent on our shoulders. And, you know, that's that's what I wanted to see happen in my head. That's not what happened. Um, he hated me from that day forward. Every time he saw me, he would just look at me with disdain and, and like I was just pathetic to him. And I remember thinking, you know what, if I'm the kind of guy that would steal from a customer, am I not the kind of guy that would steal from you, too? Does that, does that make sense to you at all? But it didn't seem to compute with them. Times are going to come when those in authority over us will tell us to do something that God says we should not do, or vice versa. And when that happens, we choose to obey God as Christians. Now, that sounds like a no-brainer, but I see professing Christians ignoring this all the time. They're, they're just areas where God's word couldn't be more clear than it is and I see Christians doing just obeying the law of the land instead. You know, the law of the land changes. I don't know if you've noticed that, but stuff that we all agreed was wrong 30, 40 years ago, you know, by God's standards and man's standards, now they're okay. Not by God's standards still, but by man's standards, they've shifted to okay. And the church seems to just kind of float along with that. And we need to be careful. We need to think that through a little bit. Are we, are we obeying God or are we obeying man? God has called his people to a higher standard, to holiness, in fact. He wants us to stand out in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, not blend in. You know, that's why um, Christians really are pretty counterculture. We, uh, we're supposed to be salt and light, distinct, noticeable, weird. I know that sounds kind of, you know, don't, don't go too far with that, but we're the weirdos when it comes in society. That's what happened. The guy, my boss, thought I was so weird. You're so weird that you won't go along with this program. And I was okay with being weird. Sometimes weird is, is good. Who knows who these three guys are? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those familiar names to anybody? That's good. Most people know them by their Babylonian names, which is kind of funny. We, we forget their Christian name, their Jewish name, the one that God, you know, gave them and, and used the Babylonian names. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? That one you probably know. Or if you grew up on Veggie Tales, nobody. Rack Shack and Benny, you just keep shortening them down. Nobody. I thought thought my, my kids used to see that. Rack Shack and Benny. They were three young Jewish men who were taken captive 
by the Babylonian Empire. And the king at that time was um, a guy called Nebuchadnezzar, and he built this nifty gold statue, and he made a decree that everybody had to bow down and worship this statue. And if they didn't bow down and worship the statue, they get tossed into a fiery furnace. Nice guy, right? Um, of course, the problem with that is that uh, these three men knew the first commandment of God, that they should have no other gods before him. And so they were in a tight spot. Would they obey God or would they obey King Nebuchadnezzar? And what's at stake here? Their lives. This is an important thing. And they chose to obey God, which made King Nebi furious. Sorry, that's Nebuchadnezzar, but back to VeggieTales again. <laughs> Nebi's shorter. I'm going to go with that. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And then he gives them another opportunity, you know, to do it. To, to, you can, I'm going to show you how easy this is, guys. You don't understand how easy this is. I'll just I'll lay this out. You'll see. So in verse 15, he says, Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the music, you just fall down and worship the image that I have made, and all will be well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Ooh, I know one. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's taking a stand. Right? And again, these options aren't a little ridicule, a little shame. It's their lives. This made Nebuchadnezzar furious, so much so that he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. And he ordered the men to be bound and thrown in. And the heat was so hot that the men who threw them in died. But then something amazing happened. Verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the son of God, perhaps. The king went to the entrance of the furnace, and he called to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. That, that's a little different than it sounded like before. Come out and come here. And they did come out. And the text tells us that not one hair of their head was singed, that their clothes were crisp and clean, and didn't even smell like campfire or fire, but... I always think that's a real distinct smell when you've been around that, right? It was as though they weren't even in there. And I love verse 28. I'm going to change one little part because some people might be sensitive. And you can read the Bible. Sometimes it's R-rated in its graphic nature. But Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, 
Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Does that sound familiar? Same as our passage today. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be hurt badly. And their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That's magnificent. I don't know about King Nebuchadnezzar. You can go on and read Daniel and find out what happens to him. He ends up like a wild animal in the woods for a while. And and uh, I, some of the things he says, some of the statements he makes about God, I wonder if we may see him in the kingdom. I don't know. I kind of hope so, because... Um, God appeared to this guy in some pretty miraculous ways. And this is one of those times where you see him. Again, his methods for, you know, they're still kind of bad. But anyway, the God we serve is unstoppable. He is unstoppable. Now, obedience to God doesn't guarantee our safety. I've already mentioned that the apostles are about to take a beating, right? Uh, you and I are good chance that if we continue to preach Christ, we could suffer consequences. You know, now they're saying they're, they want to take away the nonprofit status from churches. If they, if they, you know, so big deal. Is that going to stop us from preaching the gospel? Well, if I, if I can't claim my tax, you know, on this on my taxes at the end of the year, it's like big deal. You know, our housing allowance goes away. Big deal. Doesn't stop God. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I just I love that picture. It's like, you know, it's just no big thing to God. So we don't have to be afraid. We can be confident to proclaim the words of this life, even in the face of persecution. And I, I, that's what, exactly what happens here in this, in this account back in Acts. Right after the, the leaders remind the apostles about how we strictly charged you not to preach Christ, and you better stop making us look bad and saying bad things about us. Guess what they do? <laughs> I mean, it's like they don't even lay low for a second. They just dig right back in and start to preach to them. In verse 30 it says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted his right hand as leader, or God exalted him to at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They say, stop preaching Jesus, stop making us look bad. And they preach Jesus and say, you hung him on a tree. You killed him. They, they say the same things again. And I just think the bold confidence that they had to have had to do this. Instead of worrying about them, they obeyed God. And what they said to them is, is true for all of us. You are responsible for Jesus dying on the cross. He died there for your sins. But God raised him from the dead and exalted him as Lord and Savior. Repent, receive him, and be forgiven. Same thing he said to them is true for all of us right now. And I can't help but think of the motivation these guys had for the allegiance. Because I know for me, I'm not a bold, confident guy. I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, when persecution comes, I run headlong into it. It's not me, you know. But I know that in Christ, something changed in me. This is all of him, not of me. I have an allegiance now that I didn't have before. I don't know where it came from, but it didn't, it didn't start here. It started in Christ and and it's, you know, when I think of this table and I think of Christ going, having his body broken and his blood shed for me, I think about what he went through for me, and, and, and I want to I wanna be more for him. And it's not, again, I know this is something he's done. It's all of him. But I see this allegiance these guys have, and I think, where does that come from? 
Where does that kind of loyalty and that, that desire to obey him rather than man come from? And this table represents that very thing. Christ for you. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you so that you could live and have life. You know, in this world, we're going to have troubles, but we look forward to a kingdom when our Lord comes back where he will put everything right again. And in the meantime, we have a message to boldly go and proclaim. That sounded like Star Trek, but (laughs) scratch that. Boldly proclaim that message to a lost and, and hurting world out there in love. So we're going to pray, and then we would invite you guys to come up, take communion. We just individually come up, take it, and go back, pray, and eat, and and remember what our Lord has gone through for you. Father, thank you so much for um, passages like this that we can read and, and see so clearly Christ in us and the difference that it makes. When, when he gives us a new heart and makes us a new creation, something changes, Lord. We know that it's something that, that is of you, and we're grateful for it. I pray, Father, that as Christians who are called to live differently in this world, that that, that would be something that um, you enable us to do by the power of your spirit. And, and that we really are able to, to draw that line like we see in the Bible with these godly people who decided they were going to follow you. Lord, help us to follow you faithfully. Give us the ability to do that through your Holy Spirit, we ask. And just as we remember now what Christ has done for us, thank you so much that he was willing to go and take our place on the cross. We don't deserve forgiveness we don't deserve to be reconciled to you and yet through your son you've made it possible help us father to just worship you and delight in that every day we ask in jesus name amen